Matthew 6. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. For, but, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrite, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Skip down to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who sees in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So for those of you who are paying attention, you'll notice that I skipped the Lord's Prayer. Did that on purpose, but don't worry. The Lord's willing, and I get to do everything the way I planned it, (laughs) then we'll come back to it. But uh, the Lord's Prayer is inserted here. It's not inserted. It's it's here. It's kind of an individual teaching inside of a much broader lesson. Uh, And so I thought it would be good for clarity's sake for us to just read through these few verses without the the kind of bump in the train of thought that we get on that that teaching there. So um, that's why I didn't include it this morning. We will come back to it because it's uh, of of utmost importance. So coming into this, into Matthew 6, uh, as we discussed last week, the ultimate goal The chief end of all of our public righteousness, if you remember, is to glorify God. All of our displays of godliness, all of our displays of good works is that God would be glorified. If you're familiar with the Westminster Catechism, you'll know that it says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I happen to agree with John Piper who says that it it should say or that it would be better for it to say the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. But that's a topic for a a different discussion. The point, the main point that, that I want us to see this morning is that our purpose on earth, our main purpose, the reason that we have been given existence is to glorify God. The reason we exist as a people is to make much of Him. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 6 and 7, the Lord says, I will say to the north, give up. That's the sovereign voice of God. I will say to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, 
whom I formed and made. Do you see that in verse 7? Everyone who is called by my name whom I created for... I, or you could turn that around. It says, I created them for my glory, or for my glory I created them. Because of my glory I created them. They were made for the glory of God. In, in 1 Corinthians... The Apostle Paul tells us in chapter 10, verse 31, it's a very famous verse, you all know this one. It says, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So in Isaiah, I created you for my glory. That's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. That's, that's OT God talking. I created you for my glory. The prophet I created you for my glory. The New Testament, 1 Corinthians, the apostle, whatever you do, everything that you do, do it for the glory of God. So that's our purpose. I mean, it's Old Testament, it's New Testament, it's all over. You can't escape it. That's the whole reason that we're here, to glorify God. That's the whole point. Everything we do, Paul says, whatever you do, whether you're eating or drinking, whatever you do, lying down, rising up, going to work, getting the day off, uh, resting, playing, do it all for the glory of God. That's our whole purpose, to glorify Him. And, it, and until you see that, until you believe that, until you treasure and cherish that grand truth, there's a whole lot of the Bible that isn't going to make a whole lot of sense to you. Until you treasure that grand truth, there's a whole lot of life that isn't going to make a whole lot of sense to you. So I pray this morning, I pray that, that we all come to a, a profound realization of, of, of this truth. Our chief end, the purpose that we're here is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. And if something as little as eating and drinking, like Paul says, if something as little as that, if our ultimate goal in those little things is, is to glorify God, then certainly our ultimate goal in public displays of righteousness, in, in public expressions of faith, certainly our goal there is to glorify God. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus said, if you remember from last week in Matthew 5, verse 16. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and do what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Give glory to God. That's the ultimate goal for doing public works of righteousness, that God would be glorified. I spent the whole time last week talking about that, so I don't, I don't want to belabor the point. I don't want just to rehearse that again for you, but I, I just can't overstate it. I just, I just can't make it a big enough point. I can't put enough neon signs on it. It's important to keep that in mind. It's important to keep that in mind when we come to chapter 6 to understand what it is that Jesus is really saying to us in, in the text this morning. If you recall, I, I talked about the big picture last week. We don't want to zero in so much on one tiny phrase or one tiny sentence that we, that we lose sight of everything else Going on, well, chapter 6, verse 1, where Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before others, 
uh, other people in order that they may be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That is a big picture sentence. So um, the 18 verses or so that follow, they support that. That's the main thesis of this, this section of his sermon. Beware. Remember, that's a warning. He's cautioning us, a caution. Beware of, okay, beware. What? 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 What are you telling me? You know, you go down the road and you see the caution sign or danger ahead. What's the danger? I want to know what it is. Is there a cliff or is it, or is it a railroad track? What's the danger? Well, Jesus tells us, beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. There's a lot of caveats there. Before others... To be seen. So that's the beware. Beware against that. Don't, don't practice righteousness before others to be seen. Should we practice righteousness before others? Yeah. Let your good works so shine. I mean, they're brilliant. Let them shine brilliantly before men so that they will see your good works and give glory to God. The caveat, don't do it to be seen by them so that you will be seen by them. That's where we spent the bulk of our time last week. Jesus warning us against doing good deeds in order to get attention. He calls it praise in verse 2. So we know that when he says to be seen by them, he's talking about praise in verse 2. They're doing good works in order to be praised, to get praise that, that belongs to God. Basically stealing glory from God. And then in the following verses... He gave us some unique examples of practicing righteousness, giving and prayer, two examples of prayer, and then, and then fasting. Those are practicing righteousness examples that he gives, doing good works. So I want to focus on the second part of verse 1 today. Um, that's where, I mean, we'll talk about the whole thing, but that's, that's, the, that's the thrust of today. The second part, he says, for then, so don't practice righteousness before others in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So it's important for us to see why it is that Jesus is warning us. Like I said, you're going down the road, you see a caution sign, you see a warning sign. I want to know what it is that I'm being warned about. That I, can, I can act appropriately. I can, I can adjust accordingly. How, what is it that I need to be warned about? What, what is the danger that lies ahead? And the danger that he gives us is we risk not receiving a reward from our Father who is in heaven. Amen. A couple of things to note. He did not say you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. If he had said that, if you did not, you will not have a reward from your Father in heaven. If he had said that, we might be inclined to think that Jesus was talking exclusively about an afterlife kind of reward, a reward in heaven. So it's important that he, words matter. It's important that he didn't say that. What he did say was that you will not have a reward from your Father who is in heaven. So he's not talking about the place or the time of our reward. He's talking about the who of our reward, the source of our reward, who gives it. 
you will not receive a reward from your Father who is in heaven. There's a distinction there. And we see this in the verses that come after, in the examples of giving and praying and fasting. Time and again, he says that the hypocrites who are doing their righteousness in order to be seen by others, in order to be praised by others, what does he say about them? They have received their reward. Well, what reward is that? They have been seen. That was the reason why they did whatever they did, was to be seen, to be praised. And so they received their reward. They, you got seen. You got your praise from men. Where did the reward come from? Not from God. It came from the men who saw them, the people who saw them, the people whose attention they were seeking. So they, they didn't get a reward from God. They got a reward from, from man, from people, the people who praised them gave them their reward, and that's the only reward they're going to get. Jesus cautions us to to not seek the praise of men. Don't seek that reward because that's the only one you'll get. And he grounds that that warning in the rewards that come from God. If you want a reward from God, if you want Him to reward you, then do things for His glory and not for your own. That's the big gist. That's the basic point. That ought to be a big deal for us. You know, you may think, well, you know, man, God, what's the big deal? At least I'm getting rewarded. Um, and you just said it. He's not talking about a reward in heaven, so he's not, not doing this. We're not talking about whether or not I make it to heaven. We're getting there. Not yet. But, uh, but the thing is that in James, James tells us in one, James, chapter 1, verse 17, that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from God. So you want a, an ultimately good gift? That's got to come from God. You want an ultimately perfect gift? That's got to come from God. And you won't get that. You won't get that when you seek the glory of others. Because you've gotten your reward. And is that good and perfect? No. Does it last? No. I can tell you right now, just from being married to a woman, that I can be loved in the kitchen and hated in the living room. <laughs> and the time it takes to get from one to the other. I'm just, I'm kidding. (laughs) So is that reward a perfect reward? Oh, baby, I love you. And then by the time we get to the the living room to sit down, what what happened? I don't know. (laughs) You husbands just look at me and don't nod or anything. Just stare straight ahead. I'll take it for you. It's okay. I'll I'll do it. The situation that Jesus describes here with these hypocrites it, uh, and, and their, their works, their good works of performance, it leads to uh, a kind of good works and performance that is very distasteful to God. So distasteful that he will not reward it, though technically what is being done, the work that is being done is good and it, it is good for people. It does good to them, at least immediately. When you think about it, this kind of performative service that Jesus is talking about, doing good deeds in order to be seen or praised by others, it is equally distasteful to most of us as well. Even the ungodly look at this kind of thing and they, they frown on it. When you consider all of those elements 
in the first part of verse 1, uh, practicing righteousness before others, to be seen by them. When you put all of that together, you get something that is very cheap, very ugly. It's a knockoff of what the real thing is. It's like trying to pass off Monopoly money for real cash to your teenager. Now, I, I can promise you, they are no experts in counterfeiting. But they know that fake. Right? They know it. What does this lead to? It leads to that kind of fakery. And it's just, you can tell it. Oh, it's just so surface level. And it's awful. It's disgusting to God. And it's disgusting to most people. And so, but, so it, it, it confuses me why people seek it so much. But that's because the temptation for praise is so high. It's like, a, it's like an intoxicating drug. And it hooks us. And think, oh, they liked that. And oh, I feel validated. Oh, I feel good because of that. And so I keep doing it. When the goal of service is to be seen by others, when you serve to be seen, and we are serving people, Amen. okay? So when we serve, it's part of our culture. When, as a Christian, as a church, it's part of who we are. But when we serve to be seen, and there are many opportunities for service, when you serve to be seen by others, what does it lead to? Ostentatious, showy displays. In the case of giving to the poor, that's Jesus' first example here in Matthew 6 when he talks about practicing righteousness. That's the first example when you give to the poor. Notice, this is aside the point, notice he didn't say if you give to the poor. It's an expected thing. When you give to the needy, when you give to the needy, that's the example that he gives, gives first. In, in the case of when you are ostentatious and showy about giving to the needy, not only does it, is it rob God of the glory that God beholds or that God's supposed to have, but it, it robs the needy of dignity. Amen. God cares about our dignity. What should have been done in secret and what should have been handled discreetly has now been made a public issue because of pride and self-exaltation. So the person who is receiving the help has been robbed of dignity because you're so boisterous or showy about your good deed. I want to be seen. I want to be exalted. And I don't care how much dignity you have to lose in order for me to get those things. I don't care that you have to be stripped of it in order for me to feel good about me, in order for them to praise me and see me. How disgusting is that? Now, I'm saying that, and you're thinking, oh, that's awful. But we do it all the time. Good things so that they'll notice. And there's no love in it either. There's no love in that kind of good deed. This come, I mean, Jesus just said, love your enemies. He just said, turn the other cheek and go the extra mile and pray for your persecutors. Love them. And then he says, be careful of doing righteous deeds to be seen by people. There's no love in that. 
There's no love in that. It's a loveless service. And most tragically, probably, is that it is empty service. So there's no, there's no eternal good that happens. There may be an immediate need that's met, a felt need that's met. There's no eternal good. There's no eternal need that's met. God is not glorified. God is not made to be seen as great. You are. And you are here today and gone tomorrow. And when you are put on a pedestal, that is tragic. And we see this kind of thing all the time. I, I think of uh, public displays, some, some of them that come to mind, uh, like when you see politicians handing out blankets and, and uh, water bottles after some natural disaster, as long as the reporters and the cameras are there. They're not doing, I mean, they're doing a good deed. People are being helped. People need blankets. They need water bottles when there's no, there's no clean water to drink. They need that. But what are they, what is the end? It's their own praise. That's the end. That's their goal. That's their desires to be seen. And here's the problem. You know, it's really easy to pick on politicians, but the problem doesn't stop there. They're not the only ones with this proclivity. We see it in churches and Christian communities all over the world. This desire to be praised by others, get their attention, to be seen by them is so very intoxicating. So much so that there is a, a pandemic of pastors in pulpits who are so consumed with looking good and getting praise that they don't even study and write their own sermons. They preach nearly verbatim sermons from other pastors right down to the jokes that they tell and the personal illustrations that they use. And they tell them as if that's their own. And it is far more prevalent than you or I would like to admit. From the top of the Southern Baptist Convention... A huge controversy over the last couple of months over that. The president of the SBC caught plagiarizing other people's sermons. All the way down to the little guy who's just trying to make it in a pulpit. And I, I get the pressure. I understand it. I fully understand it. But there's no call for it. I just I listened to a guy a couple of months ago. He, he went so far as to... I mean, not even the closing prayer was original. He copied that. And they, they say things like, you know, I'm in, in doing this, and they're preaching somebody else's material, right? A sermon that's already been written, almost word for word. They may change a little thing here and there. Um, they're preaching it, and they, you know, I was reading, and the Holy Spirit said to me, or, or I, I came across this, and it made me think, and, and I see this. I'm thinking, no, it didn't. It didn't make you think at all. That's the problem. You didn't think. Craig Rochelle is the one who thought, or T.D. Jakes is the one who thought. Stephen Furtick is the one who thought. And my goodness, could you pick somebody else to copy? I mean, if you're going to do it, pick somebody who's at least theologically sound and doctrinally correct. 
So, I mean, they tell these people this thing, and, and so, no, no, you didn't think, and that's the problem. You copied, and not only did you not think, and not only did you copy, but you just lied. You lied in the pulpit, in the context of preaching, of heralding the Word of God to God's people. What a sacred duty this is. And yet, because of the intoxication of being praised by others, pastors sell their souls. Why? And I can tell you from experience, the, the temptation is great. You ask me at 15, at 10:15, when I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, what am I going to do? I've got a text. I've got like three points. I have no conclusion. I, what, how am I going to finish this, Lord? You get up at four in the morning on Sunday. I all day Saturday banging my head against a wall. Oh, it'd be so easy just to get somebody else's stuff and pass it off to you like the Lord gave it to me. But it'd be a lie for the praise of men. And the pulpit is not the only prominent place in the church where this insidious desire for the praise of men rears its ugly head. Praise and worship teams can be affected by it. It's so easy for this kind of thing to creep in there because by nature, musicians are performers. By nature, right? Singers are performers by nature. And so it's so easy for this to creep in in the praise and worship team. Beware, you guys, beware. This here, this is not a place for performance. This is a place for sacrifice. And you are the offering. Performative worship is idolatry. And the worst part is that it causes others to fall into that same idolatry with you. The offering is never to be praised. It is consumed. The offering is the praise. First and Second Kings, I've been reading through that in the last uh, few weeks. And uh, it gives the story of the kings of Israel and how Israel's walk with the Lord unfolded and progressed as a result of their kings and how they were led. And over and over you see this language again of how a wicked king would come to rule. The Bible says, and he sinned against the Lord and he caused Israel to sin. The sin of him, the sin of the leader, the sin of one king, the sin of one person brought others into it because they were watching him. And he brought others into their idolatry with him. When you make yourself the sinner, you invite other people into your own idolatry. And that doesn't mean that we don't offer excellence in our worship. That doesn't mean that we don't, we don't want to make sure that we're, we're picking the guitar well or that we're singing well or that we're playing well. We don't just, we want to be excellent. The Old Testament sacrifice was excellent. It was the first fruit. It was the, the spotless lamb. The New Testament sacrifice was the ultimate of excellence. There will never be a more excellent gift or a better offering that was made than Jesus Christ. So we, we bring excellence in worship. But for what? For God's glory. To point to Him and say, He is a big deal. Make much of Him. 
So let me, let me draw this to a close back in Matthew 6, 1. Jesus said, For you will have no reward, reward from your Father who is in heaven. Again, I don't think he's talking specifically about rewards in heaven, but rewards from God, period. And my basis for this is that he says your Father who is in heaven and not your Father in heaven. But it's more than just semantics. Um, one of the scariest passages in the Bible for me, one that makes me look inward a lot, one that sometimes keeps me awake, uh, is right here in this very Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is preaching. And he says in chapter 7, verses 21 and 23, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do so many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So look what they said. Did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? Did we not practice much righteousness in your name? And he will say, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. How can they be workers of lawlessness if they were doing mighty works in his name? If they're doing good deeds all the while saying, God be praised. At least one way, I think, and I think that's what Jesus is making clear in our passage today, is that all of their service was performance. They were merely being actors, playing a part in order to get what actors get. To get applause, to get praise. They said the right thing, the right words, did the right deeds, and people loved them. And don't we love our performers? Don't we? They sought their own glory rather than the glory of God, sought their own praise rather than the praise of God. They were drunk on the compliments and the attaboys and the pats on the back and the accolades. They wanted to be noticed, and so they were by men. And Jesus said, for all the good that you thought you were doing, you were working lawlessness. Why is that? Because they were pulling eyes off of Christ, saying, you're... He's not to be praised. I am. You, king, have sinned against God because you went after other gods and caused Israel to sin with you. You worked lawlessness. So this is not one of those passages that we just read by and say, oh, you know, we've got to be secret when we give. We've got to be secret when we pray. Don't. Don't fast and make ourselves look sick when we do it. 
is so much deeper than that. It's at the heart of your heart and the why. I almost titled this message, Motives Matter. And they do. But I went with the temptation of praise because that's what draws us. It, it, we feed on it. And we need to feed on the glory of God, enjoying Him forever. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Thank you so much for this time you've given us. I thank you for all these people that you uh, have brought together, Lord, this family. God, I pray that you, you bless us with a heart that seeks after you. I pray that you humble us in our service, Lord, to seek only your glory. Lord, let us do great things in your name that you would be praised. Send us out of here and keep us safe and bring us back at the appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.